Now, the reason why I'm bringing this to your attention, I don't think is by accident. I was reading through the book of Romans for some reason. I must have just chosen that. And these verses particularly struck me as being very relevant in terms of the Easter message. Now, some of you will have heard the Easter message like you will have heard the Christmas message so many times. It is an historical truth. There's no doubt about that. It is also a truth in terms of our Christian teaching to teach about Christmas and Easter. But sometimes I wonder uh, whether or not that's actually getting through and striking people and whether or not people are actually realising the profound relevance of the actual Easter message. And I was reading through this passage and I'm going, this is incredible. This is a passage that actually makes Easter even more personal to me and I think to all of us. The passage that I'm going to uh, read I, um, is from chapter 6, verses 1 to 7, which I'm going to read now before we go any further on. Let me read. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And that's where we will pause. Now, what initially struck me was this concept or expression that we have been baptised into Jesus' death or into Christ's death. You see that precise expression in verse 3, that we are baptised into his death. Now, I'm thinking, what does that mean? I, rem I, I know of what baptism means. We've got a baptismal, baptismal font. Sometimes we have a smaller one, I think, at the front of church. In some churches, that's the case. Baptism, baptism into his death. Easter is coming up. That's to do with his death. How am I actually baptised if I'm a Christian into Jesus' death? It's a very intriguing thing. What does that mean? Does that mean just simply by believing that I am baptised into his death? Or does it mean that I actually have to have immersion or water sprinkled upon me for me to benefit from whatever this passage is actually talking about? I was very, very intrigued by that expression and wanted to explore it further. But also what struck me is what we read in verse 5, which is all to do with union with Christ. The Apostle Paul is writing to the Roman Christians. In chapter 6, which is where we are, he is talking about the importance and value of being united with Christ, union with Christ. In chapter 5, he's spoken about having peace with God. And in chapter 6, we now see this other privilege which we have, which is about union with Christ. And what we're going to see 
is that this passage tells us that all Christians have been united with Jesus in both his death and his resurrection. It's not that startling a statement, but I will repeat it so that we have got a good starting point as we consider this passage. We'll see that all Christians have been united with Jesus in his death and resurrection. Now, not many eyebrows will be raising over that particular thing, but if you think about it, that's quite a loaded statement. What does this, what does this mean? How am I united? Gosh, do I really want to be united? I'm happy with the resurrection, but I'm happy to be united with him in his resurrection, but being united with him in his death. Well, this is just by way of introduction to get us to be intrigued and to think, what is this all about? And there are four points that I want to share with us today. The first is what I've already really been covering by way of introduction. We are united with Jesus. The second point is, is that Jesus is our representative. The third point is that Jesus is our substitute. And the fourth point is that what Jesus has done delivers us from sinning. So we'll work through those particular four points. So the first one, we are united with Jesus. In fact, we are united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. But in today's talk, what we're just going to look at is how we are united with him in his death. The baptism, which is referred to in verses 3 and 4, is referring to someone who has faith in Jesus, who then expresses that faith in terms of water baptism, being immersed in a stream or a pool or at the back of church or, or what have you, or sprinkled with water. Someone who has faith in Jesus and then expresses that faith in terms of water baptism. Let's go back to verses 3 and 4 and just refresh ourselves and see the logic of all of this. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may lead, live a new life. So in other words, what we are seeing here is that a Christian is someone who is a Christian by faith inwardly, but by baptism outwardly. So in other words, it's referring to a Christian by faith inwardly and by baptism outwardly. Now, baptism, what is that all about? Baptism is very much about the forgiveness of sins. It is very much about receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. But did you know that baptism is also very much about union with Jesus, union with Christ? We have union with Christ. And the reason we know that is from verse 5, which I ask you to follow. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. So you see that word there twice, don't you? In relation to death and then also in relation to resurrection. But our focus today is upon being united with Jesus in death. We have 
a vital, personal union with Jesus. When we become a Christian, that is, we have a vital, personal union with Jesus. Now, this is relevant because I began this talk by saying that Easter can seem removed. The Christmas story can seem removed. A lot of church stories can seem removed. They're historical, they're doctrinal, they're part of the, the fibre of the church. But what does it actually have to do with me? Well, what we're told is that we are united with Jesus in his death. And this union is something that is intensely personal. So it is not removed. It's not the minister up the front and I'm just sitting in the pew counting down the time before we can leave and then come back in, in another year's time. That is, of course, being very removed, very disengaged. But actually what the Christian message is saying is that we have a union with Christ and specifically in his death. And verse 5 is that proof. The second point is this, is that Jesus is our representative. The third point is that Jesus is our substitute. Some of you will be particularly familiar with that point, but perhaps the majority of us um, are not as familiar with Jesus being our representative. Uh, I've had to think a lot about this and I was aware of it, but I've been very helped by looking at this passage and to think about this aspect of Jesus, that he is our representative. Jesus is our representative because he is our king. He holds the office of being the ultimate king. He is the Messiah. And Jesus has been able to represent his people and act on their behalf. And of course, we know that he has represented his people and acted on their behalf, that is, on our behalf, through his work upon the cross. You see, this is the really interesting point, is that Jesus' death became our death. Jesus' death became our death. The penalty paid by Jesus is in fact the penalty paid by us. Whoa, that sounds like a heresy almost. I can't pay my own penalty. Only Jesus Christ can actually pay the penalty for my sin. That's what we learned at the back of church in Sunday school. That's what we learn in scripture class, isn't it, Philippa? We learn those things. Jesus has paid our penalty. That's what we learn time and time again. But that is no, not, not incorrect at all. But what we also know simultaneously is that we have actually paid the penalty not off our own bat. No way, Jose. We do not have the credentials or the caliber to be able to do that. But in him, in Jesus, when we are in Jesus by faith in him, he has paid the penalty. We are united with him. What does that mean? We have paid the penalty. So to give you um, an illustration, imagine an envelope. What is contained within an envelope ordinarily in, you know, the olden days when we used to write letters and things like that, some of us still do? A letter, okay? The two go together. You can't have one without the other. They represent the same thing. Jesus is like the envelope and we are like the letter. We are identified with him. We are in union with Jesus. Where the letter goes, we go. 
Okay, what happens to the letter happens to us. Can you see how we are united with Jesus through that illustration of just a simple envelope and letter? We are united with him. So he has died, we have died. Now, we didn't physically die 2,000 years ago and nor are we expected to go on a cross today. But what has happened is that we have been co-crucified with him. We have co-died with him because Jesus is our representative. Now, if you're thinking, oh, this is just sounding heretical, well, verse 5 again is the actual proof. For we have been united with him in a death like his. And fortunately, we know that we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his, which we'll look at in uh, a week's time. But I want us to understand here that Jesus is our representative. It's wonderful news. But I also want to make the third point, which is that Jesus is our substitute. So our first was that we are in union, we're united with Jesus. The second point is that Jesus is our representative. The third point is that Jesus is our substitute. Now this is a little easier for some of us to understand. Jesus received the punishment that we deserved. So we deserve the punishment for our sin of death. What punishment did Jesus receive upon the cross? He received death. Okay, He was someone who received the punishment that we deserved. He was substituted in. He was subbed in for us. We should have been upon that cross, but Jesus was brought in as a substitute. Only his life, though, could be offered as a substitute. I don't want you, and I've already said this, I don't want you to think that we can in any way atone for our sin or deal with our sin or pay the penalty for our sin. We can't in and of ourselves. Only his life could actually be offered as a substitute to pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus has paid that penalty, and that penalty was death. But by his substitution, we receive the benefits. What does that mean? It means that we are set free. We are justified. We are accepted by God. There is no longer any demand that sin or the law has upon us. We are people who are forgiven. So I hope that you see, you're seeing in this passage just wonderful things about what Jesus Christ has done for us and that you're seeing that this is personal. This is not a story about a guy who walked into Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid down their coats and put palm fronds out and that's all very lovely and we, and we think this is, this is great and have Easter eggs. This is a wonderfully personal thing, what has actually happened through Jesus dying upon that cross and of course also being raised from the dead. But it becomes even more personal in terms of how it changes our lives. Of course, when we put our faith in Jesus, we receive the forgiveness of sins, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, we receive these wonderful things. But also, when we realise, and this is the fourth point, what Jesus has done for us, we will see that we are able to be delivered from sinning. So what Jesus has done delivers us from sinning. Now that's an interesting statement in itself. What Jesus has done delivers us from sin 
and the consequence of sin. There's no doubt about that, but that's not what I'm saying, and that's not what the Bible passage is saying specifically here. It says that it is delivering us, his death and what he's done, delivers us from sinning, the ongoing practice of, of, of sinning, which we as Christian people battle with. Earlier on in the passage, I think in verse 2, it says that we have died to sin. A Christian has died to sin. But I know full well that I continue to sin. So hold on, does that mean I'm not a Christian? No, I'm a Christian. The weight of evidence biblically, the weight of biographical evidence is, is huge to say that even if you're a Christian, you still do sin. What that dying to sin means is that, well, sin is associated with death as its penalty. That penalty has actually been paid by Jesus. He incurred that penalty. So therefore, we have died to sin. That was our old life, the old way. But it doesn't mean that we're now perfect. Hopefully that gives you comfort. We still are people who, who sin. And this passage is in fact something that is very relevant for us. What Jesus has done delivers us from sinning, but how does this, how does this work? Well, look, let's have a look at verses 6 and 7, the final point. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So as I said, sin's penalty is death. The penalty of death has been borne by us in Jesus Christ because we're united with him. That means that sin no longer has any claim over our lives. Our old life has finished and our new life has begun. A Christian has a whole new life. So that Genesis reading that we heard from speaks about how every inclination of the thoughts of mankind was only evil all of the time. Well, that has full expression in our old life. But in our new life, that is something that will still afflict us. It's not completely extinct. It is still present, but it doesn't actually dominate us because we now have a new life. But what is so important is for us to remember what Jesus has done, how he has given us this new life. Now, once you have this new life, you don't want to sin. It is uh, incongruous. It's not something that we would be wanting to do now that we are a Christian. It's something that's still possible, but it's not something that we want to do. And the more and more that we realize what Jesus Christ has done for us, that we have been united with him in his death, that means that we have been united with him in the penalty that has been received and therefore the justification that is received. Because we've received all of these wonderful things now, the forgiveness of sins and so forth, we are people who are strengthened to live as we should. For we know in verse 6, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We don't want to go back to the old way that we should no longer be slaves of sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So what Jesus has done delivers us from sinning because the more and more you think about what we are and what we ought to be, 
the more and more we are actually strengthened to be able to live a life that is holy, that is sanctified. But as I mentioned, of course, it's still possible for us to sin. So Easter is something that is very personal. We have been united into the death of what we're actually reading and hearing about. We are actually united with Christ in that. It wasn't us, of course, that died that death on a cross, but we are united with him in that. And on Easter Day, we're going to hear about how we are united in a resurrection like his, which is just so positive and wonderful. Well, I hope that you realise the great privilege of being baptised into Christ. I hope you realise that. And also the personal union that we have with Jesus. And hopefully we can see what this union does achieve and how it helps us to be able to go forward and to live a holy life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so very much for the wonderful plan of salvation that you have brought about in such unusual ways. We thank you for enabling us to realise that we are more involved in this whole process than we might have thought. We thank you for union with Jesus. We thank you for him being our representative and substitute. And we thank you for enabling us to realise what he has done and this new life that he has given us. And as we clasp this, as we realise this, we pray, Father, that you would enable us to not live a life of sinning, but in fact a life of righteousness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.